This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Elephant. As a listener of this show, I'm pretty sure you've already embraced technology and practice efficiencies, but sometimes it's hard to find training in those areas. Some of you look to your state societies to get CPE credit, but those tend to be tax or audit focused and quite frankly, from what I've heard, pretty boring. Thankfully, our friends at Elephant have created education for tech-savvy accountants and bookkeepers like yourself. They offer training on platforms like Xero, QuickBooks, and Zapier, webinars on topics like cryptocurrency and firm marketing, have all-star instructors who not only understand technology, but are using it to run their own practices. And just for you, Elephant has a special offer for Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners. Visit elephanttraining.com slash CAP. That's E-L-E-F-A-N-T training.com slash CAP to receive 50% off your first webinar. Again, that's elephanttraining.com slash CAP for 50% off your first webinar. Elephant, building better practices one bite at a time. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants and bookkeepers using cloud technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, we have some mail this week. Yeah, let me get that. Um, Yeah, so we got a mail. Let me open it up here. We got a mail from Heather Smith, and it was a response- All the way in Australia. All the way in Australia. In response to our October 7th show, uh, and I think we were talking a little bit about switching banks. I don't remember all the details. Do you kind of remember what we were speaking about? Yeah, I think we're talking about fintech disrupting banking relationships, making it easier if you're using Bill.com, for example, to switch from B of A to Chase or to your local bank or whatever. Okay, that's right. And then, so Heather alerted us of a of a an app. It's not really an article, but there's an app in Australia. It's called it's a, a standard, if you want to call it that. Um, it's called Pay P A Y I D, and so you'd have your payid.com slash au slash payblake, and then you would just have that URL forever. And then if you switched Bank of America to Wells Fargo to whoever whatever bank you change, you just keep that URL. Got it. And so it just makes changing banks super super simple. And so, so it's like it's like a web URL, right? I can go host my website anywhere, but if I own the domain name, I can point that domain to whatever website I've built. Hundred percent correct. So you you huh. so as a business, you could you you could have that URL, and if you ever change banks, you don't have to tell all your customers, "Hey, now pay me through this other link." They just keep using the same link. So right, account really number, smart. routing number doesn't matter anymore. There's a layer in between. That's really cool. Thank you, Heather, yeah. for letting us know about that. Australia yeah. again leading the way in yeah. and it was, fintech. Yeah, it took about two weeks for it to get here in the mail. So, we, but we uh, <laughs> did, did open it up here in our paper mail. So I'll put that away now. Well, continuing on that trend, you've got some fintech news that's uh, very interesting. Actually, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, so I think it's a twofer, right? I think there's two articles and they're they're very, very closely related. So there's a WorldPay has started to discover that people, more and more people are doing contactless payments. So that's if you pay with your phone, you uh, tap your card, right? Um, you're paying mm-hmm. with your PayPal at Home Depot. Like they're surpassing chip and pin card and swipes now. So this is like uh, Apple Pay, right? I take my phone, I pay at the register. I don't have to pull out my card. Exactly. And so it's starting to tip past that. And then the other related article that's uh, similar is PayPal. PayPal announced their numbers and their numbers are way up, people using PayPal. But really, I think the secret in there is um, Venmo is up. Uh, volumes are up over 50% now to like 36 billion. So I don't know how many of you have used Venmo, but it's very big with the millennials. So maybe you use it, Blake. I'm not sure. 
We do um, actually. <laughs> we pay. Well, everybody in our office uh, uses it, and uh, which is you know like if you because hardly any of us carry cash anymore. So like if you need to go get a car wash or something, uh, you just somebody gives you twenty dollars and you pay them with Venmo to reimburse them. And it's very popular. Like if you guys all went to dinner together, one person picks up the tab, use Venmo to square up with that person, right? For yep. dinner. It's super, exactly. super popular. I had some millennials renting a house for me and they paid me in Venmo. But I think this is important for our listeners because you're gonna probably gonna have as an account, a small business client coming to you soon and saying, Hey, I have customers that are asking me if they can pay me with Venmo. Like that yep. is there's just too many people using it for that not to happen. So put Venmo on your radar if you don't have it on your radar. That's the takeaway. Yeah. I mean, the way I think of it, or the way I tell people about it, is that Venmo is like PayPal, but on your mobile phone. It's the new electronic payments for individuals and soon-to-be businesses. Yeah, and I think you know, and that's that's owned by PayPal. But then, what's the what's the banks all got together? Something called Zelle, is that right? I don't use yeah, it. Yeah, so I use it with some, some way. Sometimes it's not as easy as Venmo, of course, because the banks developed it. Uh, but it's basically <laughs> the, the same concept, right? Uh, of you know, phone to phone payments. Um, so you know, I have Bank of America, so I have Zelle already by default. And you can't put emojis or anything like that when you use Zelle, right? You like, that's no, just a Venmo. No. Thing. Okay. Exactly. That's a Venmo thing. Well, so that's cool. So that's crazy. So um, to summarize, contactless payments um, are now surpassing chip and pin Mm -hmm. and PayPal is up 25%. Sounds like, yeah, we're well, well, you know, who knows how long it'll take for us to get rid of paper payments here in the US, but we're we're on our way to getting rid of cash and checks. Yeah, it's a a tipping point. That's what what the quote was in this article. (laughs) Well, hey, speaking of the future, uh, I've got an article here from CPA Practice Advisor called The Case for the Four-Day Workweek by Isaac O'Bannon, who's the managing editor over there. And it starts out with an amazing stat. This is from a study of 3,000 employees across eight countries by the Workforce Institute at Kronos. They found that nearly half of full-time workers say it should take less than five hours each day to do their job if they worked uninterrupted. I could agree with that. Sometimes I felt like the last four hours of a week on Friday afternoon when nobody's interrupting you, I would do an entire week of work in four hours. Sometimes I felt like that. I I, I could buy into that. I mean, just think about in a traditional office environment where you're using email and in-person meetings as your primary way of collaborating. Think about how much time is wasted in meetings that people don't need to be in and how much inefficiency there is from communicating via email where conversations are siloed between two people. If somebody's not on the thread, they don't know. I know this is true from my own experience, just based on having worked remotely in a remote firm. When you don't have the office as a crutch, you have to be more efficient. My wife's in the same situation. She works from home. She doesn't have to go to those pointless meetings that people have when they're in the office. And you know, she gets her job done in definitely less than eight hours a day. But um, I didn't say that. <laughs> we'll have to delete that. <laughs> Rewinding editors, yeah. please pull that out of the podcast. I, I, yeah, I hope my wife's boss is not listening. Yeah, I, I, I kind of it's funny because it's like four day work week, and I'm like, you know, there's the famous book like the four hour work week, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like the, the Tim Ferriss game. It's like accountants like, like take the risk, just do a four hour work week, forget four days. So no, no, accountants are conservative. Accountants are conservative. You know, <laughs> we're just going to cut it by twenty percent. You know, 
I think that's a that's actually a really reasonable amount. If you can cut the unnecessary work in your job by twenty percent, why not have a four day work week? There are actually firms that do it. Um, there there was a story we talked about this. I think a firm in New Zealand that has moved permanently to a four day work week without increasing the hours the other days, and it works. Would, would you? So you you've had a firm before. Would would you? What would be your gut? Like, hey, everybody just work Monday through Thursday and everybody have three-day weekends or do you kind of split your firm? Like, hey, some of you guys, you're going to work Monday, you're going to have Monday off and the rest of you are going to have Friday off and split their staff. Like, what do you, because really a lot of small businesses or your clients, they might still want to communicate with you on one of those days if nobody's in the office. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how you work with your clients. If you, some some people work with, uh, I was actually just listening to a podcast where uh, uh, the CPA who was featured was talking about working with dentists, and he likes working with dentists because they tend not to work on Fridays, so he doesn't have to work <laughs> on Fridays, right? Which is great. Um, now, not everybody is going to be in that type of industry serving those type of clients. So what my ideal setup is, it's where people are free to come and go from the office. They have to be online and available between certain hours just so that you know you can reach them. But make that, instead of that being an eight-hour window, make that a six-hour window or less even, four to six hours that that people are basically, quote unquote, in their, at their desk. By at their desk, it could mean simply being on Slack uh, or being present on Skype or whatever. That makes sense. So, you know, it could be like 10 to 4. or it, And people could have different schedules too, right? They could um, be online, you know, maybe somebody likes to work early from 8 until uh, 2. And then they go pick up their kids or something like that. But that kind of flexibility is so amazing. And allowed us to attract some really great employees by letting them, you know, cut out early or sleep in. Whatever they prefer. Got it. That's good. That's good to know. So I have another article. It's um, Microsoft. Everybody knows Microsoft, right? Microsoft's debuting an expense management app. And there's some background to that. I don't know, like, if you're familiar with MileIQ. Yes, uh, I, I love MileIQ. I've been using it for years now. They actually have, they recently, I think last year, started an accountants program. So if you haven't heard of MileIQ, go check it out. It's a great expense, uh, well, mileage tracking app. And I think Microsoft acquired them. It might be three years ago already now. I'm not positive on the exact time. It's been a while. And well, now they have a new product coming out called Spend. And that's from the MileIQ team that built Spend. And so now you're looking at, you know, now Microsoft's getting in that, that, hey, tracking mileage and tracking your spending really for like those gig workers, those independent contractors that just need to track things at that level. And now that it's, that would be like competing with QuickBooks self-employed. I think Receipt Bank in the UK has a product that's like this. Um, And I've probably seen another half dozen products that are similar to this. Hey, we track Mm -hmm. your mileage and we track your spend and they're really going after those gig workers, but it's something to keep an eye on because um, it is Microsoft. So Microsoft's going to put money behind this. Like you're probably going to, it might, it might show up in windows 10 as a, it automatically. So you're probably going to see clients <laughs> using this, right? Cause they're just, yep. they're just going to get it like automatically on their desktop from Microsoft. So just be aware that this could be coming. Yeah. And it's a great bridge to accounting software for, like you said, freelancers who they might not be ready for a QuickBooks online or a Zero or a Zoho, which is just overkill for them. They really just need something simple to track cash expenses, mileage. So somebody's going to win this battle. Yeah. Because I think the, the, the thing is with those products, right? There's going to be clients you're going to take on that you're doing the accounting, right? Month to month or daily, even daily bookkeeping for those clients. But you probably have those clients you see once a year and all you do is file their business tax return. 
So yep. if you can put them on a product like QBSE, the spend product, other products that are similar and say, hey, just use this all year. Then when you come see me, it's going to take us 20 minutes to do your tax return, right? So I think much that's, better. That, that's the, the, and so that's where it's a good fit, I think, is those people where you're not, you don't have a monthly bookkeeping engagement, but you do do their business taxes. This probably makes a lot of sense. I've got something pivoting completely to a different size of business going to public companies. This is an article that appeared in CFO.com called Email Scammers Still Tripping Up Finance Personnel. And it's about an SEC report that finds that internal accounting controls are failing to prevent companies from losing money to business email fraud. Uh, They called out in particular nine public companies. Each of the companies lost at least $1 million dollars Two lost more than $30 million, and one lost more than $45 million. In total, these nine companies wired nearly $100 million as a result of frauds. Wow. Yeah. And these are not complicated frauds. This is your basic phishing email fraud. So let me break that down for you. There's two types. One, the hackers fake emails from executives. So they spoof email domains. And they send an email to a chief accounting officer, to a VP finance, to accounts payable folks. And it looks like it came from the CEO. Then those folks say, oh, uh, here are instructions from my CFO to work with this outside attorney and wire a bunch of money. And they do it. So that's, that's the first type. The second type is a little bit more complicated. It's where the fraudsters hack the email accounts of companies' existing vendors and then insert illegitimate requests for payments into electronic communications for otherwise legitimate transaction requests. So they basically change out the account and routing number or the wire transfer information. It's a little more sophisticated because they have to know who the vendors are. But still, in the big scheme of things, these are very, very basic scams that have been going on for years and years now. And it's ridiculous, in my opinion, that this is still happening, especially with public companies. I I saw an article. I wish now I would have kept it because it would have you could have put in the link as well. Literally about Microsoft. They some division of Microsoft has been paying some fraudulent invoices. Somebody just emails them in, like, hey, you know, here, yeah. here's some, which is like it's an old scam from paper invoices days. They people just send fake paper invoices to big huge companies. But all, like some division of Microsoft was just paying these, not knowing it was a complete fraud. Yeah. Um, there's a, a great example in this article of, of how difficult it can be to prevent. All of these companies actually had documented internal controls that said that the accounting employees who sent these payments shouldn't have done it, but they ignored those uh, controls or they didn't understand the process. So you know, one, one of these accounting employees, he misinterpreted the authorization matrix as giving him approval authority at a level reserved for the CFO. And in two instances, it was actually the chief accounting officer who initiated payments. So in that case, there may not even have been a way to prevent it with control. But what's missing from this article and what's missing probably from the SEC's report is, I think something that's really important, which is you you don't need to just document your internal control, as in, you know, Blake can't send a payment without David co-signing it electronically or or authorizing it, right? It needs to also there there needs to be some sort of technological barrier to sending a wire for millions of dollars without somebody also co-signing it electronically. I am assuming that most of these companies, it's just somebody happens to have wire transfer authority with the bank and they can go and make these payments. 
I mean, my thought about this is, and it goes to conversations we've had before, right? Where how, how come a small business owner has access to these amazing tools, like something like bill.com could prevent this, right? Small yeah. business owners have it, but mid-market and enterprise don't. Like, again, well, they, here's another example. They, they're not using yeah. tools to have this approval process where four people get a notification for this payment and they have to hit the approve button on their phone before it actually gets transferred. And that's all that needed to be in place for this to hap- for this not to happen. Actually, there's another thing that they could have done, which is in their internal process for wire transfers is not allow the use of email to authorize them. <laughs> right? Don't use email. I mean, like, yeah, don't use e- email is fundamentally insecure. Or un- is it's it po- unsecured? It's, a, it's no. a postcard. Email is a postcard, yeah. folks. Think of so, it that way. Like, and it would be so easy, for instance, to simply say that all payment requests from our CEO, right, have to go through our internal chat tool, which is secure. Yeah, it, it, it's it's. It's a flaw. And the funny thing is, I feel like our listeners and our small and small businesses and you know, the the QuickBooks and the Zero world, they have these tools available and yeah. they're cheap. But like, why enterprises are making these mistakes? Because I mean, if if they lost, I think you said, what did you say in the beginning? A billion over a billion's been taken. A hundred million. How much has been done in this? Oh, gosh, it's over a hundred million dollars. Okay, so Bill.com. That's, that's just nine companies. Nine companies in the report lost a hundred million. I bet you that of all public companies, there are many of these losses that go unreported. So, so bill.com, here's a way for you to go get $50 million in revenue. Go to these nine companies and sell them a $400,000 package. Like, that's, that's what you should do, bill.com. Maybe, maybe uh, that, that, or it, it, this would solve it. It's so simple. It's amazing that yeah. this occurs. It's mind boggling to me. Oh, well, man, yeah. Well, my head. Mo- Moving on from from public companies that are using outdated processes, let's talk about public accounting firms that are using outdated processes. This is an article uh, that appeared in Journal of Accountancy called 12 Signs That Your Firm Is Outdated. Thank you to Ryan Lozanis for turning me on to this article on LinkedIn. It's a great list. 12 things. If your firm is doing these things, it's outdated. So, Check out this full list. I'm just going to call out some of my favorite items. Uh, Number one, the firm mandates work in the office on Saturdays during busy season or mandates any specific timing or location for extra busy season work. Why why make people come into the office if they don't have to work or if they don't have, if they got all their work done? That's just cruel, if you ask me. That's like that line from Office Space, right? That's that's Office Space, the movie. I need you to come in this weekend. Well... I think I mean I think that used to be back in the old days when you had to have everybody in the office in case there were questions. Yeah. Right. But now you can just call somebody on the weekend. Like if you have a question, you can't file the tax return without it, right? You slack. Yeah. So, yeah, you slack. Uh, number two, the administrative team or client accounting professionals are sometimes referred to as quote, the girls, unquote. That blew my mind. Is that really still happening? I I I I'm don't even know where to start, right? I'm just kind of shaking, rolling my eyes and shaking my head a little bit. Number three, firm leaders think that everyone who works remotely is more likely to cheat the system or be less productive than those working in the office. I bet you that's that's basically the number one reason why firms haven't embraced remote work is that they're suspicious that if you're not in the office, you're not working. Hmm. Yep. Number four, the firm gives out annual awards to or otherwise glorifies the people with the most total hours worked and or the most billable hours. And some leaders share their total hours worked like the red badge of courage when we know that hours worked may speak to effort, but not necessarily results. I mean, 
Actually, this is the number one thing that I, I, I wrote an article about this in uh, Cal CPA magazine in the, I guess it was, uh, yeah, this month, October issue, about how the culture of billable hours or that the fact that firms reward people with lots of billable hours, that's the number one thing that contributes to a bad culture in your firm that stops innovation. Yeah. And, and we've, talk, we've seen articles or talked about this before that the millennials will not come work for your firm if you're one yeah. of those types of firms. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's because, right, if it, the technology is all about becoming more productive and requiring less hours out of you. So if you incentivize people based on lots of billable hours, then why would they ever want to become more productive? Yep. Why would they ever want to become more efficient, I suppose? Um, the last one I want to share is number six. Information is disseminated on a, quote, need to know, unquote, basis. And leaders think most people don't need to know. This is something I definitely experienced uh, in public accounting is uh, if you're not a partner, you don't know the strategic direction of the firm. You are not in on the stuff they talk about at those retreats. I think that has to change. Yeah. I, I mean, I, what the, I think that this is like the third pass at this article and it's growing on me more. I yeah. think this article is like soul searching. Like these are not like, oh, you still have a server in your back room type stuff, right? Or you, you know, you're, you're manually installing updates yourself to all your office computers or whatever, things like that. This is like culture mindset. And so mm -hmm. the, this is a type of an article that, you know, hey, print this out, read it this weekend, like ponder every one of these and ask yourself these questions. Like the, this is a really, I think it's the article of the week easily by far that yep. we have. And, and the more you read it, you're more like, this is pretty, this is a big deal. Like people need yep. to read this and really look in turn. This is an internal uh, um, retrospective, right? Like people need yep. to do this themselves. This is a, a really good article. It's a great find. You win this week. And I'm I'm so glad this appeared in the Journal of Accountancy because it's you know that's the most widely read publication and a lot of the firms that need to look at these points are reading that magazine. Yeah, and uh, the author like kudos to uh, Jennifer Wilson for uh, writing this. Like she yes, thank you, Jennifer Wilson. It's a tough article, but it, I think it, it's it's amazing. It's really really good. Jennifer Wilson of Convergence Coaching LLC, a management, a leadership and management consulting and coaching firm that helps leaders achieve success. So uh, if your firm wants to implement those points, I bet she will help you out. Cool. And uh, so you just had a countdown list. I have a countdown list. Um, oh. And we don't have to go through the list entirely. I think this is one of those articles that'll be in the notes. Everybody should print this out. So the article is... <laughs> wait, wait. We're talking about people should go paperless, David. No, I want people to print this out and hang it on their cube wall, hang it next to their monitor. Okay. And here's why. 13 right. important questions to ask before you sign up with a SaaS provider. So oh. all of you that are listening to this are signing up for SaaS apps. And you may have a system, you have some questions you need to ask or not ask, but this article really talks about, you know, simple questions like where's your credit card data stored, right? Um, you could ask them, are you uh, GDPR compliant? You can ask them, can I speak with your previous clients? Uh, additional fees. Um, one of the uh, tough questions I like is, will you export my data if I switch providers? Um, That's a good another, one. That's another a really good, good one. one is... Um, you know, has your security ever been compromised? Nobody asked mm -hmm. those questions straight up to them. So there's really 13, like print these out. They're simple. Have them readily available to you all the time. Yeah, this is great. I love the uh, two-factor authentication question because that's getting more and more important. And and really every app at this point that that 
own sensitive financial information should be supporting two-factor authentication. Should be at least an option. Yeah, I've been on a kick on that lately. I even found a website that you can see if something uses two-factor. Uh, and then I've been really enabling it. I spent most of this week on every site trying to enable two-factor. A lot of apps have it so buried, though. It's ridiculous. Like, it's yeah. so important and it's so buried. <laughs> so hopefully that'll <laughs> change soon. Well, David, um, I, I I am headed out to Nashville on Monday for Intact Advantage, the oh, Sage Intact ERP conference. Nashville's so great. Love Nashville. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably just spend the entire week at the Opryland res uh, Resort or Convention Center. That's where we're going to be. Whole bunch of people from Flowcast are going. We are a platinum sponsor. It's our biggest conference. So if you are headed to Advantage, come to the booth, say hi, check out Flowcast, message me. Find me on Twitter and tell, let me know you want to hang out. We are doing a special happy hour event for Flowcast customers. I can get you into that as a listener. We're renting out an entire restaurant, Solario. Oh, that's should great. be good times. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people can go see you there. I have some news though, Blake, that we should probably what? tell people. I almost forgot. So Quickbooks Connect. I will oh. be going to Quickbooks Connect. I understand you're going to Quickbooks Connect. I will be there as well. So Wouldn't miss it. I have good news. We are going to be appearing together at a party on Sunday night. And we'll have more details on that in our uh, podcast. But practice ignition, auto entry, four or five apps are having a pre-QuickBurst Connect party on Sunday evening. Blake and I are going to be there. So it'll almost be like, a, you know, come visit us, hang out, um, come get a Cloud Accounting Podcast sticker for your laptop. Awesome. Um, so I'm really looking for that. So yes, it's official. I'm going to QuickBurst Connect, people. I can't <laughs> wait to see all of you there. It's the biggest party in the uh, cloud accounting world, uh, well, at least in the US anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm excited. I, I, I've booked my, uh, actually, I haven't booked my airfare, but I've but I've bought my ticket. So I'm, I'm definitely on my way to QuickBooks Connect. Um, but if people want to send us another article, you know, for our mail, they could do it physically, but they could just send it to us on Twitter. <laughs> How would they get a hold of you on Twitter? I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And you, David? I'm at David Leary. Simple to find and get to. Thanks, everyone, for listening. David, I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Bye.